this morning comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 48. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on to his words. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, worship team and Carl, uh, for all that you've been doing. Uh, Let's pray as we get into this. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. We thank you for uh, for the reality that where two or three come together in your name, there you are among us. We invite you here. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this sermon. The words that come out, may they be what you want communicated. And I pray that you would bless the ears of the hearers, that they would hear the message you want taught. May we see you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Who here is familiar with Where's Waldo? The, the, book, the Where's Waldo books. It's uh, a book where you're, you're, you're looking for a man named Waldo uh, in a busy scene all over the world. Um, he's always wearing a white and red striped shirt, a white and red striped toque. He has glasses, a cane, and blue jeans. Um, he's always wearing the same thing, but it's pretty hard to find him because there's so much going on in the picture. Uh, there's so many distractions, funny scenes of people dropping their food or, or getting hit by something. There's, there's decoys, other things with red and white stripes, and so it's, so, it's really hard to find him. Uh, but if you look closely, usually you're able to find out who, where Waldo is. But now imagine if you didn't know exactly what Waldo looked like. You'd never find him. In this passage that Colin just read, the Pharisees try to shut down the crowds who are trying to follow Jesus. The people think they've found their Messiah. Why didn't the, the Pharisees see it? They've been waiting for their Messiah for a thousand years. And there's well over 300 specific messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And it makes you wonder how it is that so many people missed him back then. In fairness, like Waldo, we, we're looking back with perfect 2020 hindsight and we know exactly who Jesus is. We know what he, was, what he did and we know how he fits into these prophecies. So keep that in mind, uh, the where's Waldo as to why they may not have seen who Jesus is. I'm just gonna make some room here on the. <clears throat> now just a heads up, I'm gonna uh, ask you later on in the sermon to, to open your Bibles. Um, so if you can have your Bible accessible, that'll be helpful. It'll be in 2 Timothy. Um, if you didn't bring your Bible, there is a Bible at the back. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Um, talk to somebody who looks official and we would uh, be happy to get, get a Bible into your hands. So, some background to where we are today in this, in this story. Um, as a church here, we've been following the, the, the story of God's covenant people, Israel. Uh, we know that they've been given their own land and a covenant with God, so rules for their relationship with God. They continually turn away from God, uh, and, he, and he allows them to be exiled into foreign lands you know, for, for discipline and, and, and punishment. And then they repent, and he restores them to their land, um, in the, the promised land, under his rule. Well, in that long story, we see here today, in, in this story, Israel is living in, their, in the promised land under Roman occupation. So they're in the land that God gave them, and they have some, some autonomy, but no real freedom. And in this, in this context, they've been waiting for God to send his promised Messiah his promised deliverer who would come, somebody who would come in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah who called down fire from heaven to burn up his enemies. A Messiah who would come uh, in the, in the, with the authority of Moses. Moses who brought the law of God to the people. And somebody who would come in the royal line of David, Israel's great king, King David. He would free them from captivity and establish God's kingdom. That's who they've been waiting for, for hundreds of years. Well then this carpenter's son, Jesus of Nazareth, comes along, turning water into wine, healing people with leprosy and other diseases as the scriptures foretold. He's eating with outcasts, 
He's outsmarting the Pharisees. He's multiplying food. He's teaching in parables as the scriptures foretold. He's raising the dead. He's changing the weather with his voice. And he's teaching with authority. He says, you have heard it was said, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. Speaking as if he is God in, in ways, saying, I am the bread of life. I am the shepherd of the sheep. So many in the crowds are drawn to him right away. He can make our sick people well. He can provide us with food. We can finally understand God's law. This is the Messiah, the King of Israel. And they were overjoyed because life in Israel, in ancient Israel, was really hard, especially for the poor and the sick. Uh, there, there were health regulations that made anybody with an open wound unclean. They're untouchable. They had to segregate themselves from the rest of society. Even regular bathroom activities made people unclean. And so there was often times when people were, had to be separated and they had to wash in, in special ways before they could uh, do re regular activity. And then about the poor, there were rules and expectations that people would provide for their family, that they would give tithes to the temple and provide for the poor. But the rules didn't, didn't change people's hearts. And so oftentimes, giving things to God was done not to help the poor, not to be faithful to God, but to be seen as following the rules. Jesus called out the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe of your mint and your dill and your cumin. So they're giving 10% of everything they own, even their obscure spices, they're giving 10% of that to the, to the kingdom. And he says, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The law said that people were obligated to provide for their parents. But the leaders of the time uh, designed a system where people could declare their things Corbin or devoted to God. And when they did that, the things no longer had to be given to their parents. They're, they're elderly and, and poor parents. So, many in the crowd were overjoyed that this man has come to make us well and care for us. This is the, the king of Israel. But as they try to make him king, Jesus leaves. He goes off by himself to pray. Because he wasn't that kind of king. Many religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, the high priest, the Sadducees, they're repulsed by him. He's a rabbi whose parents are virtually unknown. He didn't study under one of our teachers. He was weakening the system of rules and leadership when the Messiah is supposed to bring people back to God and make them righteous. This guy is friends with sinners and tax collectors. So they try to trip him up and prove that he's, that he's not the Messiah. They try to trip him up and challenge him the Pharisees ask, teacher, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not to pay taxes? Jesus says, well, the coin has Caesar's picture on it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they leave. The Sadducees, a group very opposed to the Pharisees but also opposed to Jesus, uh, they, they also don't believe in the resurrection. They come up to Jesus with this convoluted 
question to trick him, and they say, a woman had seven husbands who each died in succession. Well, in the resurrection, whose husband, who will be her husband? And Jesus has a, a cutting rebuke. He says, have you never read the scriptures? I think that's hilarious what uh, these like, experts of the law and, and his response is, hold on, hold on. Have you never read the Bible? In, in the resurrection, they won't marry, but they'll be like the angels. And he keeps outwitting them. So they're trying to, to trip him up. They're trying to, to shut him down to prove that he's, that he's not the king. And he keeps outwitting them because he wasn't their kind of king. Some of his 12 disciples uh, expected that he was going to lead a rebellion to break free from the Roman occupation. One of the 12 disciples he had was Simon the Zealot. While all Jews hated living under Roman occupation, the Zealots were a particularly hostile group. It was a political movement that sought to overthrow them, and they actually led a number of large battles and smaller conflicts against the Romans. But Jesus came to conquer the real enemy, Satan and sin, not Rome. He wasn't that kind of king. Which brings us to today's passage. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's been on his way to Jerusalem for a number of passages uh, in the book of Luke. He's had a three-year ministry, uh, and now he's going to Jerusalem, their capital city, and there's a lot of expectations. Some see this as their opportunity to turn him over to the Roman guards and finally be rid of him. And they say, now is our chance. Others are hoping that he's their Messiah who's going to go and confront the authorities and lead a rebellion against Rome. And they say, now is our chance. I believe Jesus knew what was in store for him. He was going to Jerusalem to be sentenced to death. And in five days, he'd be dead. So Jesus tells some of his disciples to go on ahead and get some transportation for him. And he prophesies. It's a really interesting scene that unfolds here. It's kind of a small, a small portion, but it's quite interesting. He says, you'll find a colt on which nobody has ever ridden tied up. So untie it. And when somebody asks you why you're taking it, tell them the Lord needs it. So they go into the town and they find exactly what he told them they would. And the owner finds them, finds them untying his donkey, and he says... And they say, the Lord needs it. And the owner lets them take it. It's kind of a small story or profound. It's a small story, but it's profound. Jesus, he foreknew or he preordained this donkey that would be there. He preserved the donkey from ever being ridden. And then he arranged for it to be taken to that town that morning and tied up. And then the owners they give the, the donkey, the disciples, because the Lord needs it. How many of us would give our transportation or our power tools because some, because some stranger says the Lord needs it? These must have been godly people. Anyway, it's sort of a small thing, but it, it stood out to me. But they get the donkey just as Jesus had prophesied. And then they dig it back, and Jesus sits on it, and he rides the donkey toward Jerusalem like a king, as prophesied a thousand years earlier in Zechariah 9. And we, we saw this in the video that was shown, where it says, in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble 
and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the people, they lay their cloaks on the ground in front of him and they yell, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, peace in heaven and glory to God. They get it. They finally get it. Or do they? Because the next scene is Jesus crying over the city. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, I wish that you knew what was happening. I wish you knew what was coming. I wish that you would repent and come to me. But you won't. And so destruction is coming. They didn't get it. Going back to the image of Waldo, the Pharisees and the crowds missed Jesus because they were looking for someone else. The disciples missed the real Jesus originally because they were looking for a different kind of person. But not everybody missed him. And here's in the Bible, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to give you a few seconds to, to find that. 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's near the back of the, of the New Testament. So Paul's writing to his friend Timothy to encourage him to contend for the faith. And in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul's writing to his friend Timothy, and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And then skip ahead to chapter 3, verse 15. 2 Timothy 3, 15. This is really interesting. He says, Remember how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Timothy had been taught the scriptures, and he believed them in such a way that when he heard about Jesus, he knew that this was the promised Messiah. How can we be like Timothy? Do you read your Bible? Often? I'll admit that I, I will go long stretches without studying it. I'm on a bit of a roll right now. Um, ever since Lent, my, my daughter gave up iPad for Lent, which is a huge thing. So I decided every morning I was gonna get up at six in the morning um, and spend time with God reading the Bible and in prayer. And I've, I've continued that uh, now, it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing as I've been doing that. There have been so many times where what I'm reading, written 2,000 to 10,000 years ago, speaks directly to me in my situation. I've been seeing, as the Bible says, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's read the Bible. But, and as we read the Bible, let's not do what the Pharisees or the Zealots or the crowd did and get distracted by our own prejudices. Let's be open to the whole counsel of God. Some people, and I'm gonna call, people, call some groups out, myself included. Some people like myself tend to read the Bible with our minds. We read the Bible and we learn about how great God is. God is a righteous judge. He's powerful and wise and gracious. 
We learn about the behaviors that God doesn't want. And then we teach that to people, trying to change people's hearts so that outward sin is done away with and where morality is the way of the land. But do we remember the commands to feed and protect the widows and orphans and strangers in our land? Not like we should. Christians need to know that God is conforming us to the image of Jesus, and we are to be his hands and feet in the world, showing people the love of God. Other Christians tend to read the scriptures with their hearts. They see God as full of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. They see his will being when the poor are provided for, when the lonely are welcomed in, and when the disadvantaged are given opportunities. But do, but do, you, neglect the, sorry, but do you neglect the calls to repent? Do we forget that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Christians need to know that we are Christ's ambassadors, as if Christ was making his appeal through us, telling people to be reconciled to a holy God. So both just the head and just the heart, both of those approaches to reading scripture are lacking. We need to read the scripture with our spirits, engaging both our, our minds and our hearts. So let's ask God to help us read the scriptures in a way that we can see and follow the real Jesus, just like Timothy in the Bible. As a way to close, I want to revisit Jesus' weeping over Jerusalem. In the, in the New Testament, Jesus is seen as crying three times. In, in, in the Gospels, he's seen as crying three times. He cries over his friend Lazarus, who had just died, and then he cries over Jerusalem twice. Once in Luke 19, the passage we read today, and another time, three chapters earlier in, in the book of Luke, he cries over Jerusalem. Both times, he pleads with them, saying, I wish, that you knew, I wish that you knew what was coming and you would repent. Pay attention here. I'm going to read Luke 13, where he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered you and gathered your children together like a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, I would gather you like a mother hen gathers her brood. That stood out to me a lot. And a number of you are going to know why that, why that would stand out to me these days. Here's a picture. <clears throat> this is Annie, one of our pet chickens. And these are some of her, some of her chicks, her brood. <coughs> I apologize. These are some of her chicks with Annie. She decided to hatch some eggs a few months ago. And I got to see exactly what Jesus was referring to when he said he would gather us like a mother hen gathers her brood. In the past, when I'd read that passage, I kind of ima imagined that he was putting his arms around us and giving us a big hug, a big loving hug. But it's so much more than that. So much more than that. So when she wanted to hatch her eggs, the first thing that Annie did is she ripped out all the feathers from her chest. 
so that her warm skin would be directly on the eggs. Then she would sit on those eggs for 23 and a half hours a day, for 21 days long, she sat on there for 23 and a half hours a day. She got up for 30 minutes to eat and poop, then she moved back and, and she's on her eggs. And, then when and, she, and so in, she, in doing that, she lost a lot of weight, because you can't eat very much in just half an hour. And she went down in the pecking order with the other chickens. Then when her chickens are born, she begins looking for food. All day, every day, she's only looking for food. And when she finds it, she eats none of it. If she does find food, she picks it up in her mouth, makes a, a funny noise, and they all come running to her, they eat it out of her, out of her mouth, and they eat whatever's around. She's totally devoted to her. She's totally devoted to them. She taught them how to, how to dirt bathe, how to take care of themselves. It was a neat thing to watch. Uh, that's how chickens keep themselves clean from, from like bugs and things, is they throw dry dirt over themselves. And so they're always with her, and she went to the, to the dirt area, and she put her, put her head under there and fluffed her, pe her feathers, did it again and again and again and again and again, until they started doing it, and then she stopped. It was fascinating, I was watching her do that, and I was, it was a little bit bizarre how often she was doing it. But then when she stopped, because they started, I realized she's teaching them. She's teaching them what to do. And if any dangers come near, she aggressively chases them away. Now, she knew us and was very comfortable with us, so we didn't have to, have to deal with a, an aggressive mama chicken. Um, but if the other chickens went near her babies, she would run at them and chase them away. Uh, if there was a, a neighborhood dog around or, or cats come near our, near our backyard, she puffs up her feathers and stands between the, the chicks and, the, and the, the danger. And it was interesting at night, the babies and she went to bed early. Uh, they'd sleep on the, on the big roosting bar uh, where all the, chickens, uh, all the chickens normally sleep. With each of the four chickens under her wings, you couldn't really even see them, it just, look, just looked like her there, but they were there, you could see their heads poking out every once in a while. Well, chickens are territorial animals, and the others didn't like that there were chicks in their spot where they wanted to sleep. And so they'd peck at Annie and they'd spend an hour pecking and squealing, pecking, pecking, pecking Annie because she and the, and the chicks were in their spot. But Annie stayed there and took the blows, protecting her brood. That's the kind of king Jesus is. If we repent and come to him, he gathers us like a mother hen gathers her brood. He protects us from the judgment to come. He teaches us how we should live, and he stands in the fire with us. That's my king. Do you know him? Will you recognize him when he comes? Let's pray. Father God, you who sent your son to save us, we thank you for, for the love you have for us. We thank you for the love of Jesus who came to live the righteous life that we need to live, to, to die the death that we need to die on our behalf. 
who was raised to life again, conquering death and sin. We pray, Lord, that you would humble each of us, that you would, that you would enliven our spirits as we read the Bible, that we would see the whole counsel of God, that we would see Jesus in the scriptures, not just the Jesus we want to see, but the Jesus that's real. Would you humble us as we read that to believe that we would truly follow King Jesus, who is the suffering servant, that we would follow the King of kings and Lord of lords, who died to set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.